Morning. <laughs> hey, I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, if, many of, if many of you probably don't know me, my name is Daniel Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors at Sojourn Community Church here in Beaumont. I've uh, been friends with Pastor Byron for a long time now. We planted churches right about the same time, so it's been an exciting journey to go on uh, together with him. I heard you guys are buying a building at some point. Is that the case? Is that Yeah, is that right? Uh, we, man, listen, we, uh, we just purchased our own building about two weeks ago. We're in the process of, of working through that. and uh, Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's a difficult thing. I feel your pain, but we're cheering you guys on. We're excited to see you grow and mature. And we want to see the gospel increase in Beaumont, Texas, right? Don't we want to see that happen? The kingdom of God continue to increase in this place. And so I'm excited to be here together. I'm excited to bring the word this morning. Uh, what I want us to do before we dive into the text, I want us to pray over it and ask the Lord to meet us here and to reveal himself to us in his word. So let's pray together. God, you are gracious and good. You are powerful. You are wise. You are loving. You are strong. You are the source and essence of all truth. And today we desire to experience your presence here with us. God, we desire to learn from your word and to encounter Jesus Christ risen. God, today, would you give us hearts to receive your word? Would you give us the faith to believe? And would you increase our affection for Jesus Christ this morning? We pray all of these things in the holy and the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the ancient philosopher Socrates famously declared, the unexamined life is not worth living. And today, I'm going to suggest for your consideration that the unexamined faith is not worth believing. You know, we live in a world that is saturated with competing narratives. Everyone has a unique way of seeing the world and articulating its complexities. Everyone has a primary lens through which they view the world, or at least some sort of guiding principle that helps them navigate the world and helps them process and orient and reorganize uh, their lives around. Uh, and, and we all do this. Everyone in this room, however formal or casual, you have a system for organizing your world into manageable, livable reality. Uh, right now in this cultural moment, our world, we, we live in this weird tension between skepticism and tribalism. We're skeptical of everything. In this secular, postmodern world in which we find ourselves, we're skeptical of institutions. We're skeptical of truth claims. We're skeptical of other people and whether or not they have our best interests at heart or whether they're telling us something good. There's this overwhelming sense of skepticism in our world, and yet it, there's a weird tension between that and this sort of tribalism where, where we think in terms of our tribe, and, and whatever our tribe does, we're going we're gonna to work together with them. Uh, and, and you see it all over the place. You see it in politics. You see it when people, they, they discover a tribe, and they say, that's my tribe, whether conservative or liberal. And, and you'll see them defend the tribe tooth and nail, and you'll also see them demonize those who are on the other side. But isn't it sad that it's not just in politics? We see it all over the place. In fact, we see it in the church. We see tribes forming in the church, and, well, I don't like that tribe, so I'm going to disparage them and what they're doing, and I'm going to hold on to what my tribe says, and I'm not even going to question it. I'm going to accept it regardless of whether or not it's true, because 
That's my tribe. And while there are a uh, variety of issues with this sort of tribalism, the problem I want to address today is the insidious idea that tribalism trumps truth. That whatever my tribe says is more important than what is actually true. We need a better metric than tribalism. We need a better system for analyzing what is true, for analyzing what is good, for analyzing what is beautiful. We need more than merely the opinions of people who are like us. We need something external to ourselves and to our tribe. We can't just be going with our gut feeling. And I think the passage that we're going to read today helps expose what that thing is. It, it helps us to know what it is that, that exists outside of ourselves and it exists outside of our tribe that can really speak the truth into our lives. You know, one of, one of the saddest moments in all of scripture to me, I, I, would, I would put before you, and I, I think this is totally true, that God has hardwired you to experience satisfaction when you experience the truth. He wants your heart to just hear the truth and know, yes, that's the truth. And maybe it's a hard truth. Maybe it's a truth that sets you free. But whatever that truth is, he has designed us and hardwired us to desire truth, to want truth. That was the way that he made us. And one of the saddest moments in all of scripture is when Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate at his trial. Jesus, the source of all truth, and Pilate looks him in the eye. He says, what is truth? Truth is standing before him as a person, and he could not perceive it. The passage we're going to be looking at today is in Acts chapter 17. Someone said, I'm a fiery Baptist. I picked the most Baptist text I could find in the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can be turning there. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. But I want us just to, to look at the Word of God and, and to ask, what is it asking us to do? How can we be bold like the people we're going to read about today? <clears throat> uh, so we're going to look actually at two sections, verses uh, 1 through 9 give us a snapshot of Paul's experience in Thessalonica. And then verses 10 through 12, we're going to be talking about the Bereans. And, and the contrast between the two is so profound. And so I want you to be paying attention to how these interactions are different. <clears throat> this is Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Verse 3, so profound, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also." And Jason has received them. 
And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Look with me at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. Today's big idea, the one that I'm, I'm going to put before you, is to be bold like a Berean. I think the word of God wants us to be bold like the Bereans. One of the things that I don't think is immediately obvious in this text is how brave and how bold the Bereans actually were. In just these three verses... We are given a snapshot into the Bereans' wildly countercultural response to the message that Paul was preaching. Remember the context. We just, we just read the context together. Paul had just arrived from Thessalonica, and there were Jewish leaders who were trying to kill him because they rejected the message that he brought. And what was that message? In other words, they didn't just reject the word of God wholesale. In fact, these Jews would have been happy to receive the law. They loved the law. They would have been happy to talk about the prophets. They loved the prophets. They would have been happy if Paul was bringing more information about history and how we can, we can work through the Jewish uh, history. But that's not what they were rejecting. In fact, uh, verse 3 tells us what the Thessalonians specifically were rejecting. Let me read, read that for you again. It says, uh, uh, he explained, uh, he reasoned with him from the scriptures, verse three, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying that this Jesus that I proclaim to you, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one that all of our hopes and dreams have been waiting for, and he has already arrived. It wasn't just the word of God. They rejected the gospel. When I talk about the gospel, I typically talk about it in terms of a gospel narrative, creation, fall, redemption, faith, and restoration. That's the way that I process it. And so when we're talking about truth, and we're going to talk about truth quite a bit today, I can take that, that concept of truth and I can run it all the way through that gospel narrative. When I, when I talk about creation, I'm not just talking about the seven days of creation. I'm talking about God, talking about who he is and how he wired us, how he designed us. Scripture teaches that God is the source of all truth. In him is the essence of all truth. If anything is true, it's because God says that it's true and it is true within him. But I made the statement earlier that in creation, God designed us to love truth. He designed us to desire it. He hardwired us to experience joy when the truth wins out. That's what God desires for you and for me today. And yet, we live in a world where truth isn't always what we encounter, is it? In fact, there are a lot of falsehoods. There are lies. There's a reason we want to be skeptical and learn to be skeptical because as often as not, we're not experiencing satisfaction in truth. We're experiencing the reality of lies. 
of falsehoods. Why is that? Well, it's because of the fall. It's because when the fall occurred, we were broken. The design that God made us to be, that, that, that image of God within us was broken. It was shattered. It was twisted. It was tainted. And now, instead of desiring truth and satisfaction in truth, we, we almost desire the falsehoods. We get, we're so sick that we desire to live in, in lies rather than in pursuing the truth. And yet, what Scripture teaches us is that Jesus is the fullest expression of God's truth the world has ever known. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we see in the person of Jesus Christ this idea of redeemed manhood, how in his life he lived the life that we should have lived. On the cross he died the death that we deserve, and rising from the grave he conquered sin and death so that you and I could know the truth. And one day he will return and all falsehoods will go away forever. In that intermediate time, we have faith. We have to work through the implications of living in a broken world as redeemed people. Renewed images in the midst of broken images. That's how we think about the gospel. And that is what Paul was proclaiming. It says he was explaining and proving to them that Jesus was that Christ. He was the restored image. He was explaining and proving to them that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. They didn't understand that, by the way. When the Messiah was supposed to come, he was supposed to come as a reigning and ruling king that would conquer the Romans and he would restore the kingdom and the Jews would be on top again. They didn't understand the Messiah had to suffer and certainly not die a, a tragic and, and even embarrassing death on the cross. But Paul said that's exactly what had to happen. He had to suffer so that he could rise from the dead and redeem humanity. That is the gospel that Paul reclaimed, uh, proclaimed. And in, in Thessalonica, there were mixed reviews. It says that some believed, but some rejected to the point of killing. And, and that brings us to this idea of what it means to be bold like a Berean. Look with me at this again. It's, it is a fascinating concept. Uh, the context of this, Paul has arrived from Thessalonica. The Jewish leaders were trying to kill him because they rejected the gospel that he brought. Now Paul is in Berea. And once again, he is teaching in the synagogue. He is working to persuade the Jewish people that Jesus is that suffering servant. Jesus is that Messiah. The Bereans' response could not have been more different from the Thessalonians. The Jews in Berea rejected groupthink. They rejected tribalism. They rejected this idea that just because I'm a Jew and just because we're like the, the Jewish people here in Thessalonica or in these other places, they rejected the idea that I'm going to just assume whatever their response was is the correct one. They rejected that, uh, and actually what they did, we see them receiving. Their boldness, the Bereans' boldness, is found in their willingness to test the message regardless of their cultural identity. 
And so this morning as we're working through the text, I want us to examine the three marks of Berean boldness. Three ways to be like a Berean in the 21st century. The first is this, Berean boldness receives. Look with me again at verse 11. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness. Berean boldness receives the word of God with eagerness. It recognizes the inherent goodness and value of the scriptures. I want you to see the contrast that Luke is developing here. The Thessalonians rejected the word of God that was being proclaimed, but the Bereans received the word upon hearing it. Let me tell you something. Receptivity is an attitude that is cultivated in the heart. Receptivity is an attitude that is cultivated in the heart. Here's the problem that we face today is that we all have heart idols that get in the way of receiving the word of God in our lives. We, we do. We're still broken and living in a broken world. Some of us desire comfort above all else. We desire to be comfortable, and so when we encounter something new, rather than taking the time to be uncomfortable and to work through our own, our own beliefs and to experience that cognitive dissonance, we just reject it out of the sense of comfort. Don't mess with my comfort zone. Some of us reject it uh, because we desire power. Some of us have heart idols that, are, uh, that desire safety. We don't want to be rejected by others. We don't want to be persecuted by others. We don't want others to think ill of us. And there's these things that we, we, we orient our lives around that are so far from the gospel. They are so far from Jesus Christ. And when those things are allowed to take over our hearts, it's difficult for the word to get in. But receptivity, the Bereans received the word with all eagerness. It is an attitude that is cultivated in the heart. And I think it's fair for us to look at this moment in the scriptures, look at this moment in church history, and surmise that the Holy Spirit was already at work among the Bereans, preparing their hearts, cultivating within them an attitude of receptivity. Church, I want you to hear me this morning. A heart that is receptive to the word of God, eagerly receptive to the word of God, is a heart that is under construction. I, I love when I see a young man or a young woman who's discovered, almost discovered the scriptures for the first time, and they're just turning page after page, and they can't get enough of it. That is evidence that God is at work in their lives. That's evidence, just that receptivity of, I can't get enough of the word of God. I can't get enough of the gospel. I can't get enough of Jesus in my life. A receptive heart that is receptive to the word of God is a heart under construction. It's an indication that God is drawing you nearer to him and he's molding you into the perfect image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to think for a moment about the level of humility that it takes to submit your life to the word of God. To receive it in such a way that it totally washes over you and envelops you. And every aspect of your life from head to toe is governed by the gospel. There's a, le a level of humility that is involved in that sort of receptivity. Uh, and that's what's going on here in Berea. The Bereans' boldness was most prominently displayed in their humility. Church, boldness isn't brash. Boldness is not 
arrogant. That is worldly boldness. True boldness is marked by humility. True boldness is marked by a receptivity to the gospel and to the word of God and to his work in your life. But I want you to see this. The opposite is also true. Approaching the word of God with arrogance instead of humility is evidence of a sinful and unrepentant heart. This is serious stuff. When we place ourselves in authority over scripture, what we're saying is, I know better than God. When we choose to believe some passages of scriptures over others, we're saying, God doesn't get to tell me how to do this part of my life. It's, it's an amazing thing that we, I, we do almost as second nature. It's just part of who we are. And if we're not careful, if we don't make that decision to submit ourselves under the word of God, we can get into all sorts of trouble. I, I want you to see this. When, when we make ourselves masters over the word of God, when we make ourselves masters over truth, you know, what did I just tell you? God is truth. It begins in him. He is the source of truth, the essence of truth. If he reveals it, that is what is true. And so when we look at that and we say, I am master over truth, I am master over what the text teaches, what we're actually saying is, I'm master over God. I'm master over Jesus. I get to decide my fate. I get to decide what is true. Church, I want us to be bold like the Bereans. And if we're going to do that, it's going to require humility toward the word of God. Don't you know that friendship with God means rejecting worldly ideas? It means rejecting worldly ways of living. It means rejecting cultural and tribal narratives that are contrary to the gospel. And it means embracing the word of God, the gospel, and orienting and reorganizing our life around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Berean boldness receives the word of God eagerly with an attitude and posture of humility. That's the first way to be bold like a Berean. Berean boldness receives the word of God, receives the gospel eagerly. The second thing I want us to see is that Berean boldness retrieves. Look with me again at verse 11. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So upon hearing a new teaching, Berean boldness retreats into the scriptures in order to excavate and to retrieve the truth. And there are two things. I, I, we really need to talk about truth. We need to talk about the concept of truth and, and how it is a daily, uh, is a daily pursuit. In our, again, in our current cultural context, the truth has become a relative term. Our society as a whole doesn't really believe in truth, at least not the way that it's talked about here. Our secular postmodern society defines truth in terms of the individual. And so that's why you hear terms like, uh, I'm finding my truth, or I'll live my truth and you live your truth. Do you see how that phrase, these phrases make us masters over truth? That we define what is true, and when, then we get to act in accordance with our own definition of live my truth. That's not at all how the Word of God defines truth. He doesn't, we don't just get to pick what is true and what's not true. We don't get to define it for ourselves. And, and we, we've already said it. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, 
and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, well, I know my truth. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, I am a truth. He didn't even say, I know the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the way that we encounter the Father is through Jesus Christ, and the way that we encounter Jesus is in, uh, through the Holy Spirit illuminating the Word of God for us so that we can encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he can change us from the inside out. And when we reject that outright, when we pick and choose and make ourselves masters over it, par- partial acceptance is total rejection. Let me say this another way. Rather than orienting your life around the majority opinion of your tribe, and rather than orienting your life around a gut feeling, you should orient every decision, every aspect of your life before the word of God. You should run it through the gospel. Before making a financial move, ask, what does God think about this? Before you engage in a relationship with another person, maybe ask the question, does God have an opinion about this? We've got to orient every part of our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ that we find in the scriptures. You see, the Bereans examined the scriptures to see if the message Paul was teaching is true. They already had a habit of orienting their lives around the word of God. They understood that the word of God was good. They understood that because the Bible is God's revelation of himself, that it is the standard by which we should orient all of our lives. They were searching for truth. That's the first thing I want us to see in this mark, that the Berean boldness retrieves, but it it does so not just looking for truth. I want you to see they did it daily. It's unbelievable what they said. Uh, It says they received the word that Paul brought, uh, but when they went to the scriptures in order to retrieve the truth, they went to the scriptures in order to verify the message he was teaching, and they did so daily. Church, I don't want this to be a legalistic, read your Bible or else kind of message, because that's not how God operates. You don't gain favor with God by checking off a spiritual checklist. If you are reading your Bible daily, I love that. Praise God. But if you're doing it to gain favor with him, you're going down the wrong path. That's how the Pharisees went down. They checked off every box, but their hearts were far from God. They didn't do it to gain favor with God. They did it to gain favor among men. That's not the way. But but I want you to see this also. I want to highlight the fact that orienting your life around God's word and around the gospel, it isn't a casual or infrequent undertaking. Truly orienting your life around the things of God and around the word of God. Truly orienting your life around the gospel and living from head to toe in, in subjection and submission to the gospel. It requires frequent, intentional pursuit. So Berean boldness receives. Berean boldness retrieves. And I want you to see this. Berean boldness believes. Look with me again, one more time, verses 11 and 12. It says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12, Many of them therefore believed. 
Berean boldness recognizes the beauty of the gospel message and believes it. And I want you to see how the Spirit of God is at work among the Bereans. When they first heard the message of the gospel, they received it with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures to see if it could really be true. And this is something that you and I need to be doing today. Examine the message. Examine it to see if it's really true. Don't just take my word for it. You ever heard a preacher tell you, don't take my word for it? I'm telling you right now, don't just take my word for this. Look at the text and see if what I'm saying is true. Know your Bible so that you can tell the difference between truth and error. That's what the Bereans were doing. They heard this message that Paul was bringing. The message that, wait, what's going on? The Messiah had to suffer? What's going on? That The Christ was going to rise from the dead? They took it to the scriptures and examined them daily, and therefore they believed They're asking questions like, could God really do something so marvelous and so miraculous? Could God really become a man and take on human nature and live among his creatures? Could God do that? Could he really take our sins upon himself and in return give us his righteousness? Could he really rise from the dead, conquering sin and death? Did Jesus really have the power to forgive sins? Would he really give us his Holy Spirit in order to empower us for daily living and in order to seal us until the return of Jesus Christ? Could that be possible? And the answer, the resounding, bold, Berean answer is yes. All of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is so crucial. The Bereans received the word of God, little w, so that they could receive the word of God, big W. They looked at the text and they found Jesus. It's unbelievable. This is so crucial for us today. Their belief wasn't merely an intellectual acknowledgement. They didn't just say, I I believe in Jesus. That's, That's simple. It was a wholesale confession. They believed the gospel, and because of that belief, their lives were turned upside down, completely reorganized, completely reoriented around the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross and in the empty tomb. It wasn't just an intellectual assent to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. It is a wholesale confession of Jesus is not only the Lord, he's my Lord. Berean boldness believes in such a way that their heart is changed and their lives are changed as well. And friends, you have that opportunity to do that again today. You have the opportunity to believe. If God is stirring your heart right now, that's an opportunity for faith. It's an opportunity to believe. I think some of you have maybe never received the gospel You found yourself in the proximity of the people of God and you like the warm, fuzzy feelings, but you've never fully confessed Jesus, not just as the Son of God and the Savior, but my Savior. Maybe the gospel, you're aware of it, but it hasn't impacted you in a meaningful way. You haven't organized and oriented your life around the truth of the gospel. Some of you have never tested truth claims or moral claims. You just accept whatever platitude is offered to you. And let me tell you, shopping indiscriminately in a marketplace of ideas is a great way to fill yourself with spiritual junk. 
I mean, I can just imagine what it's like shopping in a marketplace of ideas. Ooh, a box of follow your heart. I'll take it. Ooh, a 12 pack of live my own truth. Don't mind if I do. Wow. They're running a two for one deal on God just wants me to be happy. I'll take 12. You see, shopping in a marketplace of ideas without something external to you and something external to your tribe guiding you, that is dangerous business. Some of you come to church semi-regularly because you like the way it makes you feel or you like the people or you think that somehow by showing up that God is impressed with your effort. But none of that really matters if you haven't believed the gospel. None of that matters if your heart isn't receptive to the gospel. None of it matters if you don't believe. And so my question for you today is simple. Where is your heart in relation to Jesus Christ? Have you received him or are you rejecting him quietly? Are you organizing and orienting your life around God and around his gospel? Or are you just following your gut? Is your life marked by belief and confession in the gospel or is it marked by faith in yourself the answer to that question changes everything let's pray together God you are incredible you are so wise so loving so powerful and God we so often don't understand your ways God, today, would you give us boldness? God, would you help us to receive your word with eagerness, not with complacency? Would you help us to receive your word with joy in our hearts that we're discovering the truth? God, would you help us to look at your word and to retrieve the gospel, retrieve all that you have for us and desire for us to love and to pursue and to live? God, would you give us the faith to believe? Not just to say, oh yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. But to truly confess him as the Lord of our lives. Not, Not making ourselves master over him. But submitting to the gospel as the determining factor in our life. God, would you help us to love you, to warm our affections for Jesus Christ. Give us the faith we need to believe. I pray all of this in the holy and rich and powerful and awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen.